For those of you who don't know me, I'm Roger. I'm your senior pastor. Uh, so we closed out our series on uh, Galatians last week. This week we're doing a standalone message um, called Reaching the Next Generation. Uh, the next two weeks we'll be doing a two-part series called Small Groups Big Impact. And then uh, September 12th, we'll be launching a seven-week series called Jonah, Amazing Grace. I'm trying to figure out how we can get like a big whale, like hanging from the ceiling or something, but I don't know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm thinking like, uh, oh, what's a sight and sound theater down in uh, Branson, you know, the giant whale, that's on, that'd be awesome. But anyway, we'll figure it out. At least we'll have a whale up on the, on the screen, so. All right, so good morning. Uh, good morning, and good morning to our viewers online as well. So there are these two children who were playing on the playground, uh, and then they started talking to one another, and uh, they were talking about their parents. And one of them said to the other, um, first they teach you to talk, then they teach you to walk, and as soon as you learn how to do both, I tell you, sit down and be quiet. So in my message this week, I want to focus on a group of people that sometimes get overlooked in church, um, our children and our youth. I think most of us would recognize the importance of leading, leading children to Christ, of discipling them, helping them grow in the Lord, helping them have a biblical worldview. But there can be this unspoken assumption that ministry to children and youth is somehow less important than ministry to adults. And I want to help us realize today that that kind of thinking is actually upside down. Okay? It is the opposite of the reality of the world in which we live, and it is the opposite of the heart of Jesus. The evangelist D.L. Moody came home one night and uh, he, he had just been speaking at a meeting, and his wife, Emma, was already asleep. And uh, after he got into bed, his wife rolled over and, and said, how'd it go tonight? And Moody said, pretty well, two and a half converts. His wife laid there for a while and finally said, oh, that's sweet. How old was the child? And Moody said, no, 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 no. It was two children and one adult. <laughs> he said, the children have their whole lives ahead of them. The adult's life is already half gone. So several years ago, the director of one of World Vision's ministries, uh, his name is Dr. Bryant Myers, presented the following research um, at a conference. The title of his presentation was The State of the World's Children a cultural challenge to the Christian mission in the 1990s. So one of the most significant portions of his presentation was this. You'll see the, there it is. All right. So what this tells us is that at least in the USA, nearly 85% of people who make a decision to follow Christ do so between the ages of 4 and 14. This has become known uh, worldwide as the 414 window. 
So George Barna, you might have heard of him. He's another well-known church researcher. He also confirmed this with his research. He said the probability of someone embracing Jesus as his uh, savior was 32% between the ages of 5 and 12, 4% for those between 13 and 18, and 6% for those 19 and older. In other words, if a person doesn't embrace Jesus Christ as their savior before they reach their adult years, the chance of their doing so is slim. So Barna states, uh, the implication of these findings is clear. Anyone who wishes to have significant influence on the development of a person's moral and spiritual foundations had better exert that influence while the person is still open-minded and impressionable. In other words, while the person is still young. So many people are, dis are surprised to discover that many Christian leaders throughout history came to faith in Christ as children. One of the early church fathers, Polycarp, was nine when he was saved. Matthew Henry, the author of the famous commentary on the Bible, was 11. Jonathan Edwards, the American revivalist and evangelist, was seven. The hymn writer, Isaac Watts, was nine. Evangelist Henry Drummond, who was D.L. Moody's friend, was nine as well. E. Stanley Jones, the Methodist missionary to India, felt called to be a missionary when he was eight years old. He saw a picture of a big tiger standing beside a small boy, and underneath was the caption, who will tell me about Jesus? And Stanley Jones said, I will. Corey Ten Boom, you may have heard of her, she asked Christ to be her savior at five. W.A. Criswell, the famous Southern Baptist pastor, was saved when he was 10, but he felt God calling him into ministry even earlier. He said, I'd been thinking about being a preacher for years since I was six. I knew I wasn't converted yet, hadn't been saved, but I knew God wanted me to be a preacher. <laughs> uh, hymnist Philip Bliss was 12 years old when he came to faith in Christ. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was 15. Dr. Harry Ironside, the Canadian-American who pastored at Moody Church in Chicago, was 13 when he came to faith in Christ. Count Nikolaus Ludwig Sitzendorf, <laughs> who was in many ways responsible for modern Protestant missions. He was saved at the age of four. So when he was six, uh, Nikolaus started writing love letters to Jesus. Um, he climbed the castle tower, tossed his letters out the window, and they kind of scattered on the courtyard like, like little prayers. He was six in 1706 during the Great Northern War uh, when Swedish soldiers overran Saxony where Nikolaus was living. The soldiers walked into the room where Nikolaus was praying and the soldiers were so moved by the little boy's prayers that they just stood there and listened. They were just frozen in their tracks. So even though most Christians come to faith as children, churches have historically tended to focus primarily on adults. If I use the words evangelism or discipleship or outreach or missions 
or even if I'm talking about Holy Spirit ministry, the pictures that typically form in our minds is of adults doing these things with other adults. Not evangelizing or discipling or doing Holy Spirit ministry with kids. Certainly not of kids doing it with other kids or kids doing it with adults. And so we end up missing out on the more open and strategic part of the harvest, children and youth. So I want you to think about this question. Why is it that it's the evil leaders throughout history who were the ones to recognize the strategic importance of mobilizing children more than anyone else, right? The Nazis had their Hitler youth bands, right? By 1939, over 90% of German children were part of the Hitler Youth Organization. Not only did it allow the Third Reich to indoctrinate children when they were most impressionable, uh, but it let the Nazis remove them from the influence of their own parents. This was Hitler's way to get his ideology into the family unit. Some members of the Hitler Youth even denounced their own parents when they behaved in ways that weren't approved by the Reich. Then there were the Chinese. Chinese communists had their little red guards. So again, there's another movement to indoctrinate children with their leader's ideology. In this case, it was Mao Zedong, right? It's cultural revolution in the 60s and 70s. It was a movement to remove anything that did not line up with communist ideology, including anything that was associated with religion. And of course, uh, there, was, there is the Taliban in Afghanistan. They train up their children as well. They utilize their fundamentalist madrasa schools to train up child soldiers. So in light of what happened this past week uh, with the withdrawal of the U.S. forces and the Taliban takeover of the government, um, I want to take a few moments in this message right now, all of us, and lift up a prayer for Afghanistan. So would you pray with me? God, we pray for an end to the violence in Afghanistan. We pray that no more, no more people would be injured or killed. We pray for the hungry. We ask for your divine provision for those who just lack access to food and to basic needs. We pray for the sick. We pray for those who lack basic access to health care. God, we pray for healing and restoration to be upon all those who are ill. We pray for those who are displaced. Lord, grant them your protection, your wisdom, your shelter, and your provision. And God, we pray for the believers in Afghanistan. Lord, we know that Afghanistan is number two on the world watch list. And that believers there live under intense pressure and the threat of violence. Holy Spirit, we pray you would strengthen these secret believers in their inner being. We pray for their safety. We pray your peace would be among them, God. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Why is it that these evil leaders recognize the strategic importance of children more than anyone else? 
I'll answer that here in a bit. But I want us to look at, again, at our main scripture here today so we can get some insight into how important children are to Jesus. So Mark 10, 13 to 16, again, says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. So the Christian author and pastor John Piper uh, once wrote the following. He said, have you ever asked why God designed the world so that the human race multiplies by having babies that take years to become adults? Why didn't God design the human race so that we multiply like earthworms? One adult splits to become another adult. He could have done it that way, or any number of ways. Why did God ordain that there be children and not just adults? Children stand for something. They point to something. They represent something. They signify something bigger than themselves. They stand for the kind of dependence and helplessness and need and insufficiency and faith that is required of adults to enter the kingdom of God. To such as these belongs the kingdom. That's the meaning of their unique existence. They point the way to salvation. To such as these belongs the kingdom. So it's pretty clear in scripture how precious children are to the Lord. Jesus not only loves them with a depth of love we can't even understand, but he respects them and he believes in them. The Bible has several stories where God uses children. From the boy with the five loaves and the two fish that Jesus used to multiply, right, to feed the 5,000. To the teenage David killing Goliath. Scripture doesn't explicitly say that he was a teenager, but the fact that David wasn't yet serving in the army tells us that he was definitely under the age of 20. Also, since scripture says that David's three oldest brothers were in the army, we know that they were at least 20 years or older. And that leaves four brothers between them and David, making it even more likely that David was a teenager when he fought Goliath. Jesus loves children and youth so much that he gave us a terrifying warning. It's Matthew 18, 6. It says, But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So back to the question of why is it that these evil leaders recognize the strategic importance of children more than anyone else? This is why. There is an invisible battle, a spiritual war, raging over the life of each and every child in this world. That war is going on all around us and is engaging both the angelic and the demonic as they do battle over the souls of our children. 
Children might be minimalized or marginalized or in some cases completely ignored by the government, by the church, by other powers that be, but they are not ignored by Satan and they're definitely not ignored by God. Every child who is born into this world is loved and full of potential, the potential to bring joy to the heart of God. That child reflects the dignity and the worth of God because he or she is made in the image of God. At the same time, Satan and all his hosts, right, all his hosts of demons stand ready to steal, kill, and destroy that life as quickly and completely as possible. We don't recognize the magnitude of the situation that representatives of both heaven and hell are present and they are focused on this newborn life for vastly different reasons. Both have strategic designs for this little one. Considering the horrific warfare between heaven and hell, it's all the more ironic that children can be seemingly unimportant and overlooked by adults. While heaven and hell are waging over the lives of our children, we often go through our lives oblivious to it all. So here's my central thesis this morning, my main point. God has placed a call upon Life Church and upon each of us as individuals to share the good news of the gospel and to pour these truths about Jesus and his word into the next generation. Okay, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So if you're a parent or a grandparent, obviously uh, you would want to start with your own children, your own grandchildren. There's also this idea of being a spiritual parent or a spiritual grandparent. God has called each of us to make disciples, right? Great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? He's also called us to let the whole world know what he has done. Psalm 105.1 says, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Is there a way that God might be calling you to point children or teenagers to Jesus or help them discover their calling or their fit in the family of believers? Is God calling you to come alongside a child or a teenager to encourage them in their walk with Jesus? As we start gearing up to send our kids back to school. Uh, we're also gearing up for another year of children's and youth ministries here at Life Church. Um, now is a wonderful time, wonderful opportunity to begin um, thinking and praying about um, serving with our children and youth ministries. Um, the ushers will be coming forward. You guys can come forward. Um, and they're gonna be handing out uh, a list of some of the serving opportunities that are available at Life Church 
in our children's and youth ministries. They also have pens if you need them. Um, at the conclusion of the service, if you have a question about any of these things or you just want to turn it in, uh, there'll be some folks at the table right outside uh, the sanctuary. Um, they'll collect those from you if you want to hand it to them or if you have questions about any of the different volunteer roles or ministries, they'll be there and yeah, be happy to answer that for you. Um, but I'm serious. I really strongly encourage you to look through this, pray about it, see if there's a place here uh, where you can invest in the next generation. We need teachers. We need small group leaders. We need people to help with games. We need uh, people to help with skits and tech and hosts and security and worship, um, people to help in the nursery. I had a lady once in my last church, she just loved to hold babies and pray for them. No, literally, that, that was her ministry. She, she would just hold them and intercede for them. Had someone else uh, in my last church, um, she was super passionate about teaching kids how to hear from the Lord, how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, how to pray for healing. Um, I've, seen, um, I've seen kids get words from the Lord and share them with an adult that just made them weep. I've seen kids lay hands and pray for adults and them get healed. Um, had someone else in my last church, they loved leading worship for children and uh, equipping kids to lead worship as well. Uh, there was another uh, lady in my last church, older lady. Um, she helped lead in both our, uh, we had a vacation Bible school in the summer, and then we had an Awana program during the year. Um, the thing that she loved most was presenting the gospel to children. Um, I can't count the number of children who gave their life to Christ because of her faithfulness. Um, she's gone on to be with the Lord. And I'm positive that her heavenly reward will be incredible as she sees the eternal impact on the literally hundreds of kids she led to Jesus. So maybe there's a way you can bless our kids and youth in a way that we haven't even thought of right? Um, it's not even on the list. Like, um, God might just give you a cool idea, you know, let us know. Now, if you are, so here's a caveat. Now, if you are already serving in a whole bunch of different areas, I'm not talking to you, okay? Because there's a small subset of people who like, you already, your plate's full. I'm not talking to you. Um, if that's you, I don't want you to like burn out, okay? But if you aren't serving anywhere, or maybe you're serving like in one area, and you feel like you could take on one more, you're the one I'm talking to. Okay? I'm also talking uh, to those of you who have youth, who have children, who are being blessed by those ministries here, um, and you are not currently serving in either of those areas. I'm also talking to um, those of you who are older folks, uh, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while and uh, you could pour into the next generation. 
even though your kids might have already moved out, or maybe they moved out a long time ago, um, you can still make a huge impact in the life of a child or a teenager. So I was in the middle of my uh, pastoral internship um, 17 years ago when my son Aiden was born. And uh, Jackie and I served in the nursery uh, back then. And uh, I remember changing diapers. Um, I'm actually skilled at changing diapers. I can do that. Um, I asked this question of Lindsay, who oversees our nursery. Um, and so this statement is accurate. Uh, we don't have dudes changing diapers here at Life Church, um, but we did back <laughs> 17 years ago. Uh, at the church that I did serve in. Um, when Aiden was a little bit older, um, even when I was a pastor on staff, uh, Jackie and I would serve in children's check-in. Half of my pastoral internship actually was serving in youth ministry. So I've preached to the youth. I oversaw all the youth small groups. Uh, I helped plan and coordinate all kinds of events. Uh, youth retreats and things like that for youth. I remember one time preaching a message to the youth at their, they had their own youth service on Sunday mornings. And I don't remember what my scripture was, but uh, I remember preaching a message, like the topic was literally trying to scare them into not doing drugs. <laughs> right? I showed them all these mug shots of people um, who were on meth. <laughs> You know, like how they keep getting worse and worse with every mugshot. <laughs> uh, I tried to show them like the worst pictures I could find. Pretty sure like none of those kids ever did drugs after that. <laughs> uh, another time with the youth, uh, it was a Wednesday night kind of thing like we have here. Um, we, we were doing this like fear factor theme. It was, you remember that show, Fear Factor, it used to be on? Um, and so myself, who was like the intern, and our youth pastor were like up in front of all the youth uh, competing to see who would eat grosser things, right? So <clears throat> the thing that was in front of us was pickled pig's feet, okay? So, um, so I went first. I ate my pig's foot. And then the youth pastor uh, put his in his mouth and then he was grossed out and he sp spit it out. So I didn't skip a beat. I literally reached over, I picked up what he spit out and I ate it. I achieved legendary status <laughs> with the youth in that moment. <laughs> I didn't even think, it was just instinct. <laughs> Uh, so I've done my share of youth camps. Uh, I, remember, um, I remember when I first watched the movie Napoleon Dynamite, I was like, this, this isn't funny. But then the second time I watched it was, was on a charter bus going to youth camp, like with like literally 50 teenagers. And then I discovered how funny Napoleon Dynamite was, right? You, gotta have, to, you have to watch it with the right people. All right, so... Serving in children's and youth ministries, my point is it can be fun, right? It's also an excellent place 
people don't think about this, it's also an excellent place to learn God's word. I've seen several adults over the years, um, either they were new followers of Jesus, or maybe they weren't new, but they, they, you know, they didn't know much about the Bible. And they would sign up to teach kids on Sunday morning or in our Wednesday evening programming. And literally, they would be learning the Bible stories for the first time as they were teaching them to the kids. Um, pretty cool. But even if you're not teaching the kids or the youth, let's say, let's say you're checking kids in or you're doing tech with the kids. Um, if you are serving in children's and youth ministries, um, God will bring children and youth across your path. Um, and every time you encounter a child, it is a potential divine appointment. Okay. In these encounters, you will have the power and the opportunity to either build a child up or to tear them down. So, confession, all right? I'm telling you this as someone who has many times, without even thinking about it, said things that have torn people down, even children, even my own family, okay? So, let's just get real. Right? It is in those times when, I, when the Holy Spirit shows me, look how important this is. Right? And thank God, like, there is grace there and like, you know, I haven't totally messed up <laughs> everything. But it just, it just puts, it, the Lord just highlights it all the more how important our words are in the heart of a child. Okay? The reason I'm telling you this is I want you to think like I'm perfect. We all mess up, right? But I want you to remember the Lord uses your words to either build people up or tear them down, and especially the heart of a child. A, li a life can be launched with as little as a single word or a single act of kindness. The spirit of a child is much like wet cement, right? When a child is young, it takes... Very little effort to make an impression that literally can last a lifetime. So, let me prove it to you. Take a moment to reflect on your own childhood. Okay? Who believed in you before you believed in yourself? Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Was it a teacher? Was it your little league coach? Your grandmother? Um, who said something like, that's a beautiful picture you drew? Or who said, you have a beautiful voice? Or who said, you did a really good job? So when I was a kid, I didn't get a lot of validation from my parents, but I did get a lot of validation from my teachers at school and from the adults at church. Your encouragement in a child or a teenager's life can have an impact for the rest of their life and even into eternity. Sadly, the opposite is true. All it takes is a mean word or an act of cruelty or abuse to destroy a child's life. Satan knows this, right? 
Those of you who've experienced this know this all too well. You can remember exactly who almost destroyed you as a child. Um, It's tragic, but it's usually easy to remember the person in our life who did this than the person who had a positive impact on our life. Someone once said you were ugly or stupid or clumsy or worthless. And those words, like, like hands on wet cement, they made an impression on your soul. And they affect you to this very day. So you probably did one of two things with that hurt. You either accepted it as true, you allowed it to define you, to limit you, or you made it your mission to prove them wrong. You developed a performance mindset. You became a super achiever, driven, competitive, but nothing is ever enough. You always need to do more. And all of that sprang from someone's cruelty or neglect. If that's you, hopefully you've, you've developed some sense of self-awareness and you've started asking yourself uh, these questions. Like, what am I trying to prove? Who am I trying to prove it to? Why am I even doing that? Nothing thwarts the efforts of Satan to destroy children's lives more than a Christ-following, loving, caring adult who lives in, who keeps in step with the Spirit and doles out regular amounts of encouragement and love to children, right? So this path of destruction can end with you, literally. You can decide to be an instrument of grace in the hands of God to a child or a teenager who needs, who literally needs to see and experience Jesus with skin on. The impact you could have in a child or a teenager's life could resonate for generations. Too many of us think of childhood as a precursor to real life, like something that needs to be survived in order to get on with the business of like becoming a contributing member to society, right? This kind of thinking, it makes us say things like, uh, children are the church of the future. This kind of thinking uh, literally pushes off the value of children to someday. Right? Someday they'll add value. Someday they'll make a difference. But that's wrong. Children are the church of today. They have value now. So I want you to consider and pray about how God might use you to impact the life of a child or a teenager at Life Church through either serving in one of these things that's on that sheet in front of you, or maybe there's something new we didn't even think of. Holy Spirit's just like, you need to do this, you need to do this, okay? I encourage you to listen to that. Even if you impacted the life of one child, it would be worth it. Let's pray. 
Lord, first off, we want to pray for our children. We pray your blessing, your provision, your protection over the children and over the teenagers of Life Church. We pray, God, that they would follow you all the days of their life, that they would fall in love with you, that they would hear your voice. Lord, protect them from the schemes of the enemy. We pray, too, for our children's and youth ministries here at Life Church. Lord, I pray you would bless all the leaders and all the volunteers and use them to reach and disciple and minister to and equip our kids and youth for their calling in the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, that new ministries to kids and teens would be birthed in the hearts of those listening to my voice. And even a year from now, God, there would be stories of people who first heard this message and we're inspired to take a step to fulfill that calling you put on their life and in their hearts. Lord, continue to use Life Church to bring healing and hope and redemption and restoration, not just to adults, but to kids and teens as well. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.